Welcome to Brave Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We're in a series on Sundays going through the Gospel of Mark, but we also want to encourage you, if you live in the area, go to brave.church slash homechurch and check out our home churches that are gathering together around these teachings throughout the week. We believe the kind of church Jesus came to start is more than a crowd. It's friends on a mission living life together. Another great way to connect further is through social media, where there is content designed to inspire and inform you. Here's this week's talk. Well, happy Father's Day. Thank you. All right. <laughs> My name is Samuel. I'm Darren. And uh, we're father and son. I'm the father. Yep. <laughs> yep, if you couldn't tell. Um, but hey, we're so glad that you're joining us here to celebrate dads today. Yeah. And uh, if you had some bacon on the way in, raise your hand. Okay, if you had like two slices of bacon, keep your hand raised. Okay, three or four, anybody? Okay, you're cut off because uh, we need some for the next gathering. But we know that there are so many places that you could be celebrating dads today, and we're glad that you're here. I mean, you could be golfing. You could be uh, brunching. You could be, and we're going to do that later, uh, I'm sure. But uh, there's so many places you could be, and we're glad that you chose to be here with us, and there's nowhere else that we'd rather be. Except Lake Tahoe. I'd really like not to be supposed there. to say that. I know, but... <laughs> but hey, we're continuing our strong faith series today, and uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, and we're looking at a passage that I think dads especially can relate to. We can all relate to it, but dads especially. So if you've been a dad for a while, maybe you're a grandfather, maybe you've been a dad for a while, or you're an expecting dad, and you're freaking out. Uh, or you're hoping to become a dad. Uh, all of us can relate to this. Uh, but here's the deal. What we look at today in this passage, what we see is that we all have weaknesses. But even in our weaknesses, God can use us to help others. Uh, yeah, that's so good. I, you know, I think nothing uh, makes us more aware of our weaknesses than being a father or mother, being a parent. Uh, one spring morning, it started off really, really good. We were really excited, Tracy and I, and uh, we were taking our youngest son, Isaac, to preschool. It was his first day at preschool, and the director of the preschool went to our church, and we felt especially uh, good about that because he was under her care. And so I arrive at the church office, it's, and, and I'm, I'm there for a few hours. Then around 10 a.m., I get this call, and it's from our preschool director, uh, and, she's, and I say hello, and, and she blurts out in this accusatory tone, she says, you didn't tell me that your son Isaac has grand mal seizures. And I was absolutely stunned. Isaac had never had a seizure in his life at that point. And so I rushed to the preschool, and, and it was in this cul-de-sac. I'm driving up, pulling into the court. I see Tracy pulling in the car. Uh, at, at the same time, we see our little boy, Isaac, being loaded into the uh, ambulance on the gurney there. I was in absolute shock. I felt powerless. Uh, I, I, I get to the back doors of the ambulance and Tracy's already jumping inside to the ambulance. There's no room for me. I didn't know what to do. So I go back, get in my car, and now I'm following the ambulance uh, all the way to the hospital and my heart is just racing. Nothing like this had ever happened before. My heart's up in my throat. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm uncertain about what's going to happen. All kinds of crazy things are racing through my head and I felt so weak as a dad. I felt so powerless. Like all of us have had moments where we realize we're not enough. 
They come in different times in our lives. They come in all different shapes and sizes. But it's in these moments where we realize uh, how weak we truly are, that sometimes we think we're strong, sometimes we think we're invincible in different ways, but there are things that happen in life that are just way beyond our control and our own ability. And it's in these moments that God can develop strong faith within us. And so today what I want to share is with you is what God has taught me about my weaknesses. Um, this is a truth. It, it's a promise. It's something that can give you peace on the worst day of your life. And here's what I've learned. Here's the truth and the promise. And that is this. When I am weak, God is strong. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, it says, for Christ, in Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships in persecutions in difficulties. And then he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. That's so good. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're weak. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Some of you are weak. But seriously. Some of you are weaker than others. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to be weak, right? Yeah. We're all weak. Yeah. We all have weaknesses. The title of today's talk is Faith Beyond Limits. And it's in these moments of weakness where we often discover our limitations. So if you didn't get notes, you can raise your hand and our ushers will get those to you. You're going to want notes today. But pull out your notes, lean forward, because there are some lessons that, that we're going to learn today that can make you not just a better father, not just a better mother or a better friend, but a better person that's able to help people even in your place of weakness. So uh, let's, let's just catch up a little bit from the last few weeks because we are continuing in a series. Last week, Derek Carr preached an incredible message on the cost of faith and the cost of following Jesus. You know, we saw this story of John the Baptist who gave his life for his faith. Like at that moment, it became real what you might be willing to or need to give up in order to follow Jesus. And so that was a really powerful talk. But today's passage actually picks up on something we talked about two weeks ago. So why don't you catch us up? Yeah, Jesus had just sent out his disciples and had given them an opportunity for the first time to put their faith in action. Up until this point, they were watching Jesus do everything. And at this moment in their lives, there was no amount of time with Jesus that they could grow their faith to the next level until they began to put uh, trust in God themselves to do what he says. And so Jesus says, I'm going to give you my authority. I'm going to give you my name. And now you go and do what I do. You've got to exercise faith. Strong faith works out. It requires you to take that step. And so Jesus sends them out, and here's the results of what happened in verse 12 and 13. They went out and they preached that people should repent, and they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So now we're picking up where that happened, where that left off in Mark 6, starting in verse so let's read together. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Now, this was a really exciting moment. Okay, this is like, they're the Warriors, and they just won the NBA championship. Okay, yes. they're coming back. Yeah. And we did. And we did. Yes. Imagine that. Woo. But they're coming back, and they've just, for the first time, been given the authority to do the things and the, and the power to do the things that, that their rabbi, Jesus, has been doing. 
So they've gone out, and they're in the game now. And they're, and they're seeing the power of God work through them. And so this is really exciting. And then they come back. It's kind of like they've discovered their superpowers. And so they've come back. And now they're telling each other all about what happened. And in verse 31, it, this is what it says. It says, then, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So after all of this excitement, Jesus, he, he's hearing their stories. And more and more people, the word's getting out. More and more people are coming. Things are getting more and more hectic. And he says, hey, now we're going to go rest. And what we see here um, and, and all throughout the Gospels is this tension of the demands of ministry and the demands of the needs of people and then our own humanity. And so remember, Jesus' own family, just a few chapters ago, they accused him of being crazy for going nonstop, for helping so many people. And not they didn't think he was taking care of himself. And so they said he was out of his mind. And so now Jesus is teaching his disciples some things about that as they're starting to experience the same things. And so they need to rest at some point, right? They're getting away. And number one in your notes, we all have limits. We all have limits. Verse 32, it says, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Um, and so it's really often in these times where there's a lot going on that we become aware of our limits and of our weaknesses. Um, I'll never forget when I was younger and I was shorter, um, <laughs> shorter than I am now. And I was playing basketball. I loved basketball. And so I'm playing in this game and I'm going up for a layup and I get swatted. Like, I, like you have never seen anyone get swatted. Like, I get swatted down so hard that the ground shook, OK? And, the, and two thoughts immediately came to my mind. The first thought was, my NBA dreams are over. Like, this is not going to happen. Like, I was hanging, hanging on, like Spud Webb, you know, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen some stuff. Like, it's possible. But my second thought was, dad, why would you do that? <laughs> So feel, now you know a little feel, bit more about our relationship. I feel, I, I feel really bad about that, too. <laughs> We've healed, but don't touch. <laughs> uh, but we all have limits, OK? We all have limits, whether they're physical, whether they're spiritual, I mean, emotional, whether they're, you know, we all have these limits that we bump up against. And so in this passage, we see that even Jesus and his disciples have limits. We don't think about this often, that Jesus had limits, right? Because he's fully God. But he was also fully human. And what's so amazing about that is that's why we know that we follow a God that can relate to us. He's experienced pain. He's experienced fatigue. He's experienced being emotionally drained or just being, being so at your end of things, right? He knows what that feels like. On the cross, he experienced some of the most excruciating pain possible. That's right. And so Jesus and his disciples, they have limits. And so he's teaching them how to balance their limits with their calling. See, every single one of us in this room, we believe, has been given a calling. There is a unique calling, things that God is calling you to do with this life. Not just those of us who work at a church or, or who stand up on this stage, but every single one of us in this room have a calling. And that can look very different. It's a beautiful thing. Some of you, your calling is in your career. It's in work. Or some of you, it's in, in serving and things that God's calling you to do around here. And so when you discover your calling, it's really exciting. These are things that you're willing to lose sleep over. 
things that you'd skip a meal over because you're so enthralled in what's happening. And so even for Jesus and his disciples, they're starting to get a glimpse of the stuff that they're going to get to do and how exciting it's going to be. And the first thing that usually happens when you discover your calling or you start to do those things is you're going to be tempted not to rest. You're going to be tempted to forget that you still have limitations. And so it's really important what we see here is that Jesus is teaching his disciples about their limitations. I remember a season when I was in Southern California in youth ministry, and it was just go, go, go. And there was nobody dependent on me. I was single, so I could just fill my calendar with all kinds of stuff. And so it was like filled with work. There were lots of youth events going on. And then it was filled socially. And I just didn't really think that I needed to rest. Like I just kept going and going. And so this one summer, I'm going and going. And I just start to feel really burnt out and just really like exhausted on the inside. And so finally, I just got away on one of my days off. I drove to the beach. Now, I'd been at the beach all summer long. Like we had had, you know, youth like bonfires. We'd had, you know, just with friends hanging out. Like I'd been at the beach all summer, but this time it was different because this time it was just me and God. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sitting there and I realized something for the first time all summer, I'm hearing the sound of the waves. Wow. I'd been pushing past my limits so much that I wasn't even hearing the sound of the waves. And here's the thing about that. When you stop hearing the sound of the waves, you're probably not hearing the voice of God. And so it's really important for us to be aware of our limits and our need for rest and our need, our human needs and the way that God's created us. And and I think that Jesus knew for his disciples, if they were going to keep this thing going sustainably, if they were going to carry on the mission, if he was going to be able to pass the torch to them, that they were going to need to know that there's a pattern of renewal, that there's, that there's an importance to rest and getting away at this solitary place that allows them to keep going. And so here we have them learning about their limits from Jesus. He says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place to get some rest. And you know, what's interesting about this is we don't even know if they wanted to rest. I mean, they might have been so excited, so high off of everything that had just happened. And now they have this new status, this new position, and people are looking to them. And they probably just want to keep going. But Jesus, he's saying, nope, I'm going to pull you away from the crowd. I'm going to, I'm going to, sh- I'm going to protect you, shield you from all of this. And I'm going to show you where to go and how to get recharged and how, how, to, how to live and work within your limits. And so let's continue. It says, so Jesus and his disciples are on their way to rest. And then in verse 33, something happens. Like life happens, okay? Verse 33, it says, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Number two in your notes, something we need, sometimes we need to go beyond our limits. Mm. Sometimes we need to go beyond our limits. Sometimes the needs of life that present themselves are so important, are so big that we can't ignore them. And so this is like the question, what do we do when we're bumping up against our limits and it seems like our limitations are at odds with the needs of others? are at odds with the needs of our family or our friend or that thing that you just can't turn away from. Maybe you've got needs, 
but there are needs that you just can't turn away from. And that's how Jesus felt. He knows they need to rest. He's on his way. He's taking them to this quiet place to rest. But then these needs appear, and it says he's filled with compassion. And this is a deep sense of compassion, like from the inside up. He's just, I've got to do something. We've got to stop. I know we need to rest. I know this wasn't the plan, but we're going to go, and we're going to help these people. And so I think that the more that we are, are following Jesus and the closer we get to thinking the way that Jesus thinks, and seeing the way that Jesus sees and feeling about people the way that Jesus does, the more often we're going to find ourselves in these positions. And so it's through this sense of compassion, this strong feeling, often that God leads us by his spirit to help others, even beyond our limits. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes you know you can't, but the spirit of God says you must. And so we come to this incredible story with huge need. In verse 35, it says, by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, that would take more than a half year's wages, Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and ten fish, or two fish. And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish that were left over. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. In that culture, they would just count households. I love the fact that it says they were all satisfied, but God still gave them even more than what their need was. Jesus is about to take his disciples now to go and to rest, but he sees that they're hungry. If we leave thousands of people hungry, they're going to start yelling, where's the bacon, right? Where's the, we want bacon, we want, you know, they're hungry. The contrast of these two stories. made it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the contrast of these two stories is remarkable. Last Sunday, Derek talked about uh, how uh, Herod was putting on a feast, putting on a mill. There's this exotic dance, and the mill ends in death with the beheading of John the Baptist. Jesus, on the other hand, puts on a feast, feeds the crowds spiritually and physically, and then it ends, the meal ends in life. He sends them home with life. Jesus did not neglect the physical and the spiritual needs of the people in the desert, and neither can we as a church family. In fact, this last March, we completed a four-month all-church effort called Hope for Humanity. Jesus had compassion on them. He cared about each and every one of them. Compassion combined with God's power meets both spiritual needs and physical needs. And so number three there in your notes, write this down. God's will is a game plan, not a blueprint. 
God's will is a game plan, not a blueprint. Who likes to, uh, who likes to plan? Have any planners out there? You like to plan? Know what's going up? Scheduling, right? Of course, uh, depending on how much of a planner you are, uh, things can get a little extreme with planners. Do you know anyone like this? Maybe you're sitting next to them. Maybe you're married to them or you share. <laughs> Thank you, son. All right. Uh, don't raise your hand and don't point at them, I started to say, right? On the other side of things, you have uh, some of us that just like to go with the flow. Like for these people, like a real adventure is waking up, walking out your front door and just seeing what happens, right? Like we uh, did today. That's how we got here. That's how we got here, right. And uh, for those kind of people, that's a successful day that when you're kind of go more with your feelings and your spiritual intuition, it just feels more right. Well, the point is, is we all approach life differently, don't we? And I found that that some people typically lean more towards one of the two extremes of the other, more towards being a real, you're really into planning or you're really into being spontaneous. And uh, it's rare to have one or the other. It's rare to kind of have a blend of those things. But here in the Bay Area, I've kind of noticed, I don't know if you guys, that it seems like there's a lot more type A people around here in the Bay Area than the real intuitive types, right? In fact, I was talking to a Christian friend of mine this week. He runs his own business, and we were talking about how hectic life can get here in the Bay Area and that uh, so many people are on the go. And he says to me, he says, you know, Darren, uh, I was thinking to myself just today, just this morning, it is a beautiful day, and my life is good, and I trust God, or, or at least I say I trust, and I say I have faith, but why am I still so stressed out? Like clearly there's a disconnect. Am I really trusting? And I just loved his humility. And then he said something to me that really caught my attention. He said, uh, living here in the Bay Area makes you feel like you need to be aggressive. Because if you don't keep up, you'll lose your place at the head of the line. Now follow me on this. This is not a kingdom way of living. The idea that you've got to keep up and and you've got to keep your place at the head of the line. That we believe as followers of Jesus that we can live in a cadence with Jesus. That we can learn the enforced rhythms of his grace in our everyday situations. That we can trust on him. That we're not having to carry all of our burdens and our own strength and ability. And that our value system is that our relationship with God and the needs of our family, they take priority over being at the head of the line. That God doesn't ask you to sacrifice your family and your marriage and your ministry or your career, not for anything. But sometimes God asks us to go beyond our limits. In this passage, we see the value of rest. We see the value of responding to the needs of people. That that it's not an or mindset, my family or serving. Like I got to protect my family from serving or one or the other. It's not that they're against each other. But it's an and mindset. And you see that for the planners, that, and as Samuel pointed out, I'm a planner, he's a planner. And our, as planners, our tendency is to say that, for example, our, our value is rest. And so I'm not going to be interrupted. This is my schedule. I've carved this out. This is the way it's going to happen. And I'm going to protect that. Or our family is important. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a wall around us. And that's a really good thing. But there have been times in my family's life where I had to, I had to draw a boundary to protect our time. One summer evening in July, uh, we had just arrived. It was on our first day of family vacation up in Gray Eagle. 
and I got this voicemail from a woman named Nancy Belli. And she left a message that it was urgent, and can I please call her back? Now, Nancy was the wife of a prominent, very flamboyant attorney named Melvin Belli. And he, he was known as the king of torts. He was a superstar. And he had many celebrity clients like Muhammad Ali and the Rolling Stones and Tony Curtis. And it just went on and on and on. He was also an attorney for Jack Rudy. Jack Rudy shot Lee Harvey Oswald. And after he shot the, the, the president of the United States, President Kennedy, it was Jack Rudy who shot him. And so Melvin Belli represented a lot of high-profile cases. And so I had performed a private secret wedding for Melvin and, and his wife, Nancy, and she was calling me that evening to tell me that he had died suddenly at his home in San Francisco. And she was calling because she wanted me to do the funeral. And I shared with her that I just arrived, we're on our first day of family vacation, and she said, Pastor, I completely understand, but the mayor of San Francisco, the governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and many famous celebrities and people of great influence are going to be there. It's going to be televised, and I really want you to meet them. I want them to know you. And I said, well, let me pray about this. I'll call you right back. And so I prayed about it, and I called her back, and I said, Nancy, I am so sorry for your loss. I truly am. And I have really enjoyed getting to know you and and Melvin. And uh, I'd love to meet all of your friends, but I need to be with my family right now. And I was actually really surprised. Uh, She wasn't upset. And uh, in fact, she completely understood. That was a, a time where I knew the right decision was to stay on vacation and be with my family. In fact, it was one of the funnest vacations we ever had. Samuel was a lot younger. I, I remember distinctly, he, he, somehow he got a hold of a golf cart and went illegally onto the golf, onto the fairway there. And I, I'm in the middle of fairway golfing and I look back and here's Samuel and he's, he's ran over a Christmas tree in the middle of the fairway. I was backing up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 You were right over a tree. And uh, anyway, we had a lot of great memories. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, but, but uh, there's other times in our lives as a family where we just know that we need to push through. I sometimes joke that uh, we pastors only work on Sunday. Uh, The truth is, is it's pretty much nonstop. It's thousands of people and it's endless. And and the boundaries can easily get blurred uh, because of the growing needs of a thriving church family. For example, uh, we were were leading up to our recent church beautification day here on a Saturday morning here at Brave, and so much was going on around us on the the week or so leading up to that. Uh, We had two days of volunteers tearing out our old playground system. We're putting in a new playground for our preschool. Uh, Two days of serving. A lot of you were involved in the burger tent. Uh, Five days of installing projector side screens. And then Samuel and I had three days of intensive uh, planning, getting ready and planning all the way to next Easter. In fact, next Easter is going to be amazing. Yeah, just start inviting people. <laughs> like, I can't wait. Like, he is risen, okay? I'm a, all right, it's going to be incredible. Uh, but by the time that Friday evening rolled around, the next morning was the church work day, and I knew there was going to be plenty of volunteers. Tracy, Samuel, Isaac, Marcy, all of us, we were just spent. Uh, but, but I wanted, and we all wanted, to be here. I also knew the sacrifice of being there on Saturday morning, I've got two times to, or three times to preach on Sunday morning. Then Samuel and I were going to do the fourth speaking at the uh, fast track. Also on Saturday later that day, Tracy was going to be involved in a, in a worship rehearsal. So to volunteer on Saturday morning meant no rest and no break for our family. And we had been working for about 14 days straight with no rest. 
And yet, to be very honest with you, we were all really excited to go. We were excited to be a part of serving and volunteering on a Saturday morning to help beautify our church campus. And, and it was fun. I mean, it was such a rich time of serving alongside of other people. There's, if you've never been to a church work day, they're amazing. You just get to know people and their personalities come out and it's a lot of fun. But I think it's awesome when families go like on a short-term mission trip together. I think that's so cool. But I also believe that you can do that right here as a family at Brave. You can do that right here as a family in this valley and teach your kids to serve right here with other people. And that's good too. The key is this. It's discerning the difference between when is it time to rest and when God is asking me for more for a purpose. Now, if you're a planner, can God ever interrupt your plans? God's will is a game plan, not a blueprint. A blueprint is to, it tells you exactly what to do. There's no deviations. A blueprint gives you these engineered, detailed instructions in advance, and then you just follow it, and you know the outcome ahead of time. A game plan, though, is you plan, you prepare with the good intentions of you're going to execute that plan, but you must be willing to adapt and adjust your plans to win. Sometimes you have to call an audible. Following the Holy Spirit is much more than building a blueprint. Sometimes people's needs are inconvenient. Sometimes you're going to hear things around the church and what we're doing that didn't fit into your calendar or your schedule, and it really has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the Holy Spirit's leading in the life of our church family. You see, God's will is a game plan. If you're less of a planner and more free-flowing with your time, and uh, you need to know, hey, it's still important to have a game plan. You do have to have boundaries for your family and schedule time for your family. But if you're a planner, you also need to know that if you hold so tightly to your blueprint, you might miss a win. Being spirit-led means sometimes you don't know until you know, and you need to be okay with that. Following Jesus is an adventure. It's a lifestyle. I really like that question. And I think we can all ask ourselves that. Am I open to God interrupting my plan? And maybe even just ask yourself, when was the last time that happened, right? Because that might be a good indicator for you of, of how often you're allowing yourself to, to really be flexible with what God's doing. I mean, I was just thinking as, as you were talking, I mean, do you think the disciples were bummed they missed out on their nap when they saw him do that miracle, right? <laughs> How exciting, you know? So I'm going to actually invite our band to come out. And in a little bit, we're going to have a moment together to respond in worship. But I also want to tell you about something else that we're going to do this Tuesday night that was unplanned, OK? We're going to have an all-church prayer gathering. And we're going to we're come together in this room. And maybe for some of you, there are some things, some burdens that you've been carrying, some things that have been weighing on you. And the solution to all of that really is, if you want to learn how to discern the difference between these moments where you need to go beyond your limit with the power of God, where you need to pull back and rest, often that starts with our time of prayer and our time with God. And so this is going to be a, a place. It's going to be our solitary place to come together. It's going to be quiet. It's just going to be a refreshing time. But I just want to encourage you, if you can make it, and, and maybe for some of you, if there's nothing big, you're not having a, an ambulance moment, 
But maybe you've been feeling that, you know, daily anxiety or daily fatigue or something that, you know, you just need to find a new rhythm. And so as followers of Jesus, it's a spiritual thing. Life is spiritual. And sometimes it's, it's not even about rest. It's not even about, it leads to that. But sometimes it's, we need to come and let God speak to us first. In that moment when I was driving behind the ambulance and Tracy, my whole life was in that ambulance um, at that moment. And I just called out to God in prayer. And uh, that's what I found, you know, in our weakness, God makes us strong. But there's an incredible verse that I've really hung on to for, for many, many years and tried my best to live by. And it's a promise that God gives us in Isaiah 64, verse 4. For since the world began, no ear has heard, no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. That's what prayer is about. It's you stop. You stop. It's no more about your strength. It's no more about what you're going to do. It's not about your plans. It's about, it's about worship. It's about Jesus being Lord, my whole life controller. If you want an amazing summer, stop. Wait on the Lord in prayer. And then he'll work on your behalf. What an amazing promise. If you want a successful fall, wait. We spend more time in prayer than anything else because we believe without a shadow of a doubt that prayer changes things. Start by waiting on God and see what God can do. I know it's counterintuitive because you just think of your to-do list and I have one and believe me, I have my big rocks and everything's scheduled scheduled out in my life. I don't know how he does it when I have more than I could possibly get done, but I start with my devotions, my quiet time, my prayer time, and I stop and I let him lead me. And that begins with stopping in prayer. You know, we all have limits. Sometimes we need to go beyond our limits. God's will is a game plan, not a blueprint. And there will be times when it's the right thing to do is to rest and protect your rest. But there will be times when the right thing to do is to be led by the compassion that's welling up in you and to go beyond your limits and capacity for the needs of other people. In our weakness... God makes us strong. And this is one of the ways that our faith becomes strong. Would you bow your heads with me? And if you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes in this moment. This is a moment for you just to wait on God right where you're sitting. I don't know what your need is. What is God saying to you? What are you hearing today? Is it time to rest? Is it time to serve so that God can do a greater miracle? Or maybe you you have a huge need right now. You feel like those people where, where you're so hungry. You need bread. You need fish. Maybe, maybe you just lost your job or employment or you're not sure how you're going to pay the bills. I don't know what the need is, but there's a sense of emptiness right now for you. And you, don't, and you realize that you don't have the capacity to meet that need. There is one greater than yourself that you can call upon. You can call upon the name of Jesus and he will hear you. And sometimes that first step is making peace with God. It's saying, you know, Lord Jesus, I just ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I want to I trust in you. I've been in my own strength just trying to get everything done. But Lord, I, I need to give my life to you. I need to surrender to you. In fact, if you're here today with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'm not going to have you stand or come forward. But if there's something in your heart that says, I want to make peace with God. I want to receive forgiveness of sins. I want to have him come into my life. I want to put my trust in him for eternal life. Just raise your hand. 
right where you're at. Just raise your hand and respond to him wherever you're at today. Amen. That's wonderful. That's amazing. And I just want to pray for all of the hands, all of you that are responding. I just want to pray for you right now and for our church family. Lord Jesus, we just recognize our need of you. Your love, the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sin. Your love covers us as we humble ourselves and we say, God, I've been going in my own strength for so long. That's all I've ever known. But Lord, I have to recognize I need someone greater than myself. So I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I place my trust in you. And I choose today to begin to follow you, Jesus, whether you're leading me to rest into a solitary place or you're leading me to a place that the need is so much greater than I am, but I can trust in you to provide and to help me in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. You're a good, good Father. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our hope that you will let this message go deep within your soul and allow Jesus to do the work that only He can do. We also want to encourage you to partner with us here at Brave. Go to brave.church and become a regular giver and be part of how God is using this message to help people find and follow Jesus.